Welcome to the Regista Room, the podcast where soccer goes off field. Here's your host, Paul Varian. Welcome to this inaugural episode of the Regista Room, the podcast where amateur soccer goes off field. I'm your host, Paul Varian. Some of you may know me from the work I've been doing helping amateur soccer organizations become their best through my consultancy, Capitalist Consulting, or you may know me as the author of Amazon bestseller, Don't blame the soccer parents. Either way, it's great to have you with me today as I embark on my ever, first ever podcast. Now, I know what you're thinking. Why yet another podcast, Paul? Can't you see we're all podcasted out? Well, funnily enough, I've decided to start this podcast for the very same reason I decided to write Don't Blame the Soccer Parents. Because you, the people who run amateur soccer every day in the community clubs, associations and leagues, simply asked for it. That's right, following the tremendous success of Don't Blame the Soccer Parents when I published it last December, people started approaching me and saying, Paul, wouldn't it be great to maybe hear a bit more from that person you referred to in the book or the case study you outlined? And other people have said that they're just fed up with podcasts passing endless commentary on pro soccer. Not that there's anything wrong with those podcasts, but they're not helping you, people out there in the amateur soccer world, run great amateur soccer clubs. One person actually said to me, What about a safe place for all us administrative soccer leaders that we could come to to hammer out solutions to problems we face on the business side of soccer every day? There are loads of forms for coaches, they said. What about us? Well, that seemed to make sense to me, I thought. So I thought, let's do it. And here we are. The Regista Room is born, a podcast that will examine the endless and ongoing issues you face in running an amateur soccer organization in 2022 and beyond. So in the Regista Room, we're going to unpack some of the key content and teachings and don't blame the soccer parents, but we're also going to focus on some core leadership elements that ultimately define your soccer organization's success and your effectiveness as a soccer leader. And here's the thing, we're going to do it through you. So that's right. My mission on this podcast is not so much to tell people and soccer leaders what they should be doing, but to instead try to showcase what soccer leaders are already doing out there in terms of the amazing things they're doing. You see, I'm lucky. I get to speak to you all, all the time. I see the great, incredible stories and examples of soccer leadership out there in the community doing outstanding things. But you don't. You're just quietly getting on with the business of running your amateur soccer club, and you likely don't know of the myriad of great work that's going on around you. You probably don't even realize when you're doing great things yourself. The Regista Room's mission is to be a connector of community soccer greatness. It'll be my goal on this show to bring great stories to the fore from ordinary amateur soccer people who are doing extraordinary things in North American's amateur soccer, and in doing so, gradually build a connected amateur soccer community in North America who can come together to share, explore, learn, and benefit from its collective experiences in the ongoing and never-ending challenges of running great amateur soccer organizations. On this show, The Regista Room, each episode will have a theme that I'll want views from you on before the show. So make sure you have your say through my social feeds or email us at the show. And we'll discuss this topic theme through the show and through guests I'll be bringing on and interviewing. Some of these guests will be people just like you, as I've mentioned, but I'll also be bringing on specialists and subject matter experts to bring important perspectives to some topics as well as sport leaders from other sports from time to time. Oh, and one more thing before we get started. 
What's with the name, I hear you say? Well, my Italian soccer listeners will know full well that a regista is a term given in Italian football to the playmaker on the field, the Perlo-type character and player that pulls the strings, runs the show, and orchestrates their team's path to victory in a game. This podcast is for soccer organizational registers, and yes, that means you. As a leader of an amateur soccer club, it is you who gets on the ball, makes the short pass, dictates the game, and makes it all happen. It is you. This podcast is your room, the register room. Tune in, participate with your views and your stories, and get your peers involved. Leadership can be lonely if you try to take it on on your own, so don't. Let's help each other make amateur soccer great together. It happens right here on the Register Room. When we return, our first Register Room soccer theme, mindset. The right mindset and the discipline to maintain it have never been more important than over the past two years of pandemic chaos. So join me after the break as I speak to two very different sport leaders whose commitment to a strong mindset has produced incredible things right here on the register room when we return are you an amateur sport leader looking for quality professional development if so your search is over introducing capitalist consulting's new sport business tutorial series we'll teach you what you need to do to run your club better these tutorials target the key areas of sport business governance risk planning marketing technical oversight sponsorship and modern volunteerism Access and enjoy these tutorials when you want and where you want. Go to capitaslearning.com and get learning with me today. Do you have a story to tell? The Regista Room is built on real-world stories and experiences from amateur soccer clubs everywhere that we can explore, discuss, and learn from. Have you innovated a solution to a problem, challenged the norm, tried something different, thought outside the box, or taken a risk, and it's paid off? If so, we want to hear from you on the Regista Room. Contact us today with your story at content at registaroom.com and let's better the game with our shared soccer experiences. Welcome back to the Regista Room, your host Paul Varian with you. So let's get into our first register room theme, which is mindset. No, this isn't a topic that immediately comes to mind when you think of amateur soccer club management. What about strategic planning or marketing or volunteer development, I'm hearing you say? Well, sure, these are important areas and we will be covering all of them at some point in the register room. But I've decided to kick off with the idea of mindset for two simple reasons. Number one, in my experience, your success will be limited and unsustainable without a fundamental understanding of how you view the world and all the craziness in it and how it deeply impacts on your effectiveness of your leadership style. And secondly, as we've trundled through this never-ending pandemic that's starting to feel more like an era that we are stuck in for the long haul rather than a short-term period of uncertainty, your rigor and resolve as a leader has been tested probably like no other time ever before. The importance of a strong mindset to weather this relentless storm has never been clearer. And that's what you've all been very clearly telling me. So look up the term mindset in the dictionary and you'll see it defined as a set of attitudes held by someone. The key here for me is the word set. A mindset is a blend of attitudes and values that work together to shape how you tackle life and whatever it may throw at you. For me, a strong mindset is one that is distinctive, clear, 
and importantly, enduring. Think of the best leaders you've worked with. Now think of examples of why you consider them to be so. It's likely you've landed on instances of what these leaders have said to you or what you've observed them do, maybe even by accident. It's unlikely you'll have examples of what they've instructed you to do or where they've used power they have in their leadership role to affect something. Indeed, you're likely inspired by these leaders simply because of how they choose to behave or conduct themselves. We often call this integrity, but make no mistake, it's driven by mindset. Mindset is the bedrock of good leadership because, you see, we are led by what we voluntarily choose to observe, accept and adopt, not by what we're delegated or assigned to do. Your mindset's responsible for the vast majority of leading that you do, subconsciously, whether you like it or not. So to be effective, or at the very least in control of your leadership efforts, it's important to understand what attitudes and values construct your overall mindset and how you might want to actively change them over time. When all is said and done, this is the true basis of your leadership development. What makes up your mindset? Well, if you don't know, sit down in a quiet place after you've finished this podcast and work it out. But talking to soccer leaders about it, I find many different attitudes and values come out. Drive, perseverance, patience, empathy, growth, confidence, belief, challenge, optimism and adaptability, says Alex Barnardson at Vancouver's Coquitlam Metroford Soccer Club on the west of Canada. Add grit and determination in there, says Dave Norman of Canada's 1986 World Cup national team. I prefer a strong mindset that's confident enough to encourage feedback and dialogue without taking it personally, says Jake Fitzsimmons in Ottawa, Ontario. And Jeff Polis in Alberta supports this, saying a strong mindset makes you strong enough inside to accept that there may be a better way of doing something. Without a strong mindset, it's very difficult to react to adversity, says Ian in Hamilton, Ontario. Great comments there from from people listening in. These are all great attitudes, but it's your ability to actually walk them out in your actions and decisions that change them from ideas or good intentions to a true mindset that will inspire people to follow. Mindset isn't, of course, new to sports. It fundamentally underpins everything that is needed to achieve athletic success, and traditionally, it tends to get thrown around in discussions related to the advancement of athletic performance, or the achievement of athletic performance. These performance mindsets often speak to things like commitment, perseverance, tenacity, passion, even sacrifice. But as a sport leader, particularly if you're one that leads non-technical people who aren't wearing tracksuits or training drill tops, understand that the best mindsets aren't singularly performance-focused. Great mindsets in true effective leaders balance a performance mindset with a fulfillment mindset. A fulfillment mindset targets attributes that lead to a broader fulfillment of life beyond arbitrary competition. It is these attributes that allow you to be successful in career and also live happy, fulfilled relationships, enjoy good physical and mental health, and pursue other areas of enlightenment in your life. Performance and fulfillment mindsets. Do you honestly pursue the two? My guests today have both mastered mindsets that have produced incredible results, albeit in different areas of sport. What I find so compelling about both is that they never reference their mindset, but it comes through in absolutely everything they do and say. 
Let's start with what you might naturally think as a performance mindset. In 2008, Victoria, British Columbia's Adam Creek achieved fame with his passionate singing of the Canadian National Anthem after winning gold medal in the 2008 Beijing Summer Olympic Games as part of the men's heavy eight rowing team. If you haven't seen it, check it out on YouTube. He's still there, albeit with more hair then, bellowing it out in blazing red spandex. Little did he know it, but his rendition of O Canada was so inspiring to his fellow Canadian Olympian triathlete Simon Whitfield that Whitfield wrote Sing It Like Creek on the handlebars of his bike on his race next day. Whitfield came from nowhere to nearly win gold in that event, which would have been his second gold, having won the event's inaugural gold medal in Sydney 2000, and said in a post-race interview that he had Sing It Like Creek, or Sing Like Creek, should I say, in his head as he kicked for home with under a kilometre to go. Since then, Adam Creek hasn't exactly put his feet up. In 2013, Creek joined three other rows in an attempt to complete the first ever successful row from mainland Africa to North America across the Atlantic. The attempted 67,000 kilometer journey was ultimately unsuccessful when the boat capsized on day 73 in the Bermuda Triangle. Since then, Adams pursued a successful career as a business coach and management consultant. And in 2019, he published his first book, The Responsibility Ethic in which he outlines 12 strategies exceptional people use to do the work and make success happen. And having read this book, I can tell you that mindset is front and foremost in much of what Adam teaches and why he has been so successful in so many different paradigms of life. And I'm delighted to have him as my first guest now on The Register Room. Adam Creek, congratulations on being the first inaugural speaker in the Register Room. I'm sure this makes your Olympic gold medal feel like some cheap Christmas cracker trinket in comparison. <laughs> oh, obviously. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this for uh since for you were born, right, Adam? Yeah, yeah. I know. I was I was born for this moment. You were born uh, for this, this moment. <laughs> well, here we are. No, no, no way to start off a new podcast than from that, from an Olympic gold medalist. But in all seriousness, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you on. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. And I love the niche that you're creating and uh, the amount of value that you're contributing to, um, you know, to the soccer community. I think this is a really great initiative. Well, thank you, Adam. And it's kind of ironic because I've spent, uh, you know, a bit of time promoting this podcast has been about amateur soccer business and for amateur soccer people. My first guest, unless you're hiding something, I don't think you're a high performance amateur soccer player. Although you, you guys no. usually play all sports. Well, we do. I, I played soccer as a child and all of my children play soccer. There you go. Yeah, it is a, yeah, it's certainly a universal sport. And, you know, the skills that you learn through sport, you know, whether it's rowing or soccer are, you know, are quite universal. You know, thinking about this idea of mindset, do, do you see alignment between the sort of mindset that you would build as a as as an Olympian and what you you do now and what you coach into people now? I do see an overlap. The one concept that stands out is that we have uh, let's call them you know extrinsic values and intrinsic values that motivate us. Uh, so we all have, uh, we all make value judgments on a regular uh, basis about what is important to us and what is not important to us. You know, extrinsic value judgments that we'd make would be, you know, towards say security, achievement, uh, um, 
you know, you know, wealth, you know, status, you know, these sorts of things. And, you know, intrinsic motivators would be more towards the idea of, uh, of growth, of universalism, of benevolence, of, you know, of giving back, of, uh, of building your own discipline, um, building your own, you know, a system to be better, you know, for the sake of being better. And I would say that, you know, as, as an athlete, you need to be motivated extrinsically and externally. You need to be pursuing that high level, you know, goal, that gold medal, that win. And you, you need to have that as, as a site, or I won't say you need to have it, but if, if you want to win, you need to have that. Yet the, um, like the fact remains that there's, you know, there's not a lot of winners and, you know, and then that leaves the rest of us, you know, who are not, you know, myself as a soccer player, I was never a winner. You know, I'm not an Olympic gold medalist soccer player, <laughs> you know, an Olympic gold medalist rower. So the question is, what keeps you motivated as, as an athlete when uh, wins aren't guaranteed and they're not regular? Right. Uh, and it has to be those intrinsic drivers. And then, and so as a, you know, as an athlete, you need to make sure that you're maintaining intrinsic motivation along the way. Otherwise, when times get tough, you completely fall, fall apart. Right. And so as, as a leader, you know, moving into that, you're translating that sporting mindset into the world of, of, of organizational development and leader leadership. I love the idea of servant leadership. Yeah. You know, why are you leading this organization? So you're coming in to, to serve, you're creating a sporting experience for these young athletes. You're creating an environment, you know, to, to serve, you know, the others in your organization to the parents, the community. And it's remembering that that's a, a big reason and a big part of why you, uh, you, you, you participate in this. When, so when, when you sorry, sorry, sorry to, to interrupt Adam, but when, when you're coaching people now on mindset, you know, and, and, and there is, as you say, there's intrinsic and, intrinsic and extrinsic um motivation but one is really related to sort of performance so whether that's rowing a boat to olympic gold or winning a world cup or achieving a sales target or achieving you know business development growth kind of fundamentally the same it's just material success let's call it that mm -hmm. um is is that something you find is taught and trained more than than inter intrinsic which is obviously a lot more about your spirituality your happiness with yourself your feeling of accomplishments and um, a place in life, uh, relationships with your family, all of these things that are very much about you and maybe privately about you, which don't get spoken to as much, except maybe in things like religion, religious dogma and things like that. Do you find mm -hmm. that, you, you know, as a, as, a, as, a, as a sort of a thought leader in this and certainly a coach in this, that the whole thing is very heavily skewed to sort of performance mindset than anything else? Well, I would... Yeah, I would interject and I'd say a high performance mindset is highly intrinsically motivated. Yeah. Uh, naturally speaking, we are, we're materially motivated Yeah, as everybody is. Mm -hmm. And so there needs to be a, you can really embrace the fact that we're all motivated. We all want to win. Uh, we want to achieve material success and that, that works up to a point it works while you're achieving and it works while you're getting things done uh 
you know, and then it can fall apart really quickly. And so the, you know, where intrinsic motivation matters more is when you feel like you have less control in the given environment, when achievement is less certain and less likely. And that's the, that's the tool for the long-term. And the, the real magic is when you can both line up extrinsic, you know, what we're calling material achievement with intrinsic. Yeah. So it's, it's it's like a values driven achievement where you you not only do you want to go for the win, you can have both. Uh, do you, do you think, Adam, that you know there's obviously a very big moment in a an athlete's life, whether you're a so-called amateur high performance athlete, as Olympians technically are, or whether you're a pro sports athlete? Um, you know, when you reach your athletic retirement and you have to maybe reinvent yourself. That 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 seems like an enormously uh, challenging bridge to leap for athletes who, for the large part, have been singularly focused on academic, oh, excuse me, athletic achievement, and have sacrificed a lot to do that. Do you think if they don't have, you know, this intrinsic, um, um, you know, motivation and this mindset? I call I call it a fulfillment mindset as opposed to a performance mm. mindset. If they don't have that sort of developed in any way that's when they get into difficulties with it. Well, what was your experience on athletes around you? But I would say the fulfillment mindset is longer lasting. Yeah. The, you know, the athletes who had what you're calling a very strong performance mindset, which is, you know, externally motivated. Um, they had the biggest difficulty with transitions. And then I also see this within the, you know, the business world when, you have, and I'm just thinking of uh, an individual I worked with, and he had built up a very successful car dealership, made tens of millions of dollars, sold everything off, and then, oh, right, it's you know, it's unsettling when you move on to that next thing. So it's you, you know, and I call it, you know, what did I call? It? I call it gold medal syndrome in the yeah, book. Yeah, you read, you mentioned ethic. it in your book, and you you mentioned it in your TED talks uh, as well. This idea that, and you, you seem to be very clear on what that Olympic gold medal was, but more importantly, what it isn't, and how how it's not something to expect. At, you know, in terms of a normal event, it's it's a it's a very significant peak, but there mm-hmm. are many of those peaks, and you treat it that way. Um, but you clearly thought that through. I mean, is the risk here that? You, you spend your time climbing the mountain, you forget that it's just at the end of the day, a mountain. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that is, you know, the, you know, the challenge, what I've experienced, and what I, I see others experience in the Olympic journey, you go, you climb to that peak experiences. And like you said, peak experiences don't last, you know, they are, and That's you should not have peak experiences <laughs> your entire life, right? They're peak for a moment. They're, they're, they're for a very short moment in time. But you get distracted with the, you know, with the attention, with the uh, rewards, yeah. with the you know, acknowledgement, and you know, it ends up breeding, you know, at some, you know, I'm, I'm a feeling that you're entitled to success or you're entitled to that performance, and that is the lie of past performance: is that you, the world owes you. Like the, the world and, and this even something that we live through right now that's come to, you know to COVID, you know, the world owes me a great career and the world owes me to have great clients or the world owes me to have, you know, a sports operation that is running smoothly. And I say, no, it doesn't. Yeah. Stop lying to yourself. You know, the world owes you, you know, nothing. 
what you owe yourself is it, you know, is the ability to find those moments of joy and growth in the process. And that is, you know, that's the mindset that we need. Adam, the, the idea of controlling a mindset, ostensibly, that means you've got to be able to control your mind, right? How, 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 do you have tips for people as to how they actually walk the walk on mindset and manage to, to control their, their, their minds? To control the mind, you need to be aware of your mind. So that takes practice, you know, to observe, to take that, I'll call that the third space, right? The, the first space being in your body, the second space being in your mind, the third space being out observing your mind and your body, you know, externally. And so when you, uh, if you can observe the way that you're thinking, that sets the stage. When you're aware of bad, uh, of how you're thinking, then you can start picking out bad mindset uh, patterns that you have. You know, a second way is to work with a coach or a therapist uh, to have structured conversations with them and address challenges on a regular basis. And then as you're addressing those challenges, your coach or therapist can point out the, uh, you know, the poor narratives that you're using uh, in, you know, in your mind and bring those narratives forward. And then you can rewrite the narratives. You can rewrite the story and tell, tell a better story that's more productive. And then third is journaling to take the time when, you know, when you're going through a challenging time, that's usually when mindset becomes that much more um, useful, you know? And so when you are facing challenges, get the thoughts in your head out of your mind onto paper and then look at it, reread it and do your own analysis of how your brain is working. And then say, this, is this pattern useful? How is this serving me? And if it's not, then, you know, thank it for its health. Right. And I'm just recognize the brain is a chatterbox machine. So, right. Oh, thank you. That, Thanks for the suggestion, brain. I don't need it. Or thanks. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for the suggestion, brain. I will actually use it. But that's a great idea, journaling, because we talk about the importance of reflection a lot. But, you know, what is reflection? And, you know, I can, a reflection can be just, just be a fleeting thought of regret, <laughs> is, is a reflection, technically speaking. But when you actually do what you say, which is sit down there and write something, firstly, you've got to articulate and gather your thoughts. Secondly, you've got to write it down, which takes time. And unless you're really, really fast moving, you're going to read what you've written, at least you hope. But isn't that what builds success is this ability to constantly critique and take the time to look at yourself very critically, constructively so? Yes, you're, you're not good enough. Yeah. That, the, that is one of the mindsets that drives success is this feeling of inadequacy. You know, by feeling that you are not good enough, you, um, you can harness that to either you know, drive you into, into despair and inaction, or you can uh, use that feeling and that insecurity to drive yourself into action. And that, you know, that idea of not being good enough and, uh, and recognizing that there are always ways to improve. You, you are not done learning. The best are always looking for the small, the small wins to, you know, to keep them moving forward, to keep them growing so that, you know, if the opportunity ever comes up to make a leap that you're sharp 
and you're yeah. on point. So, so two things I'd love your commentary on in that context, Adam. Uh, context, Adam. The, the first one is, you know, you set out with a very big goal to row from Africa, and the goal was North America, dry land, right? Your goal wasn't the middle of the Bermuda Triangle in the water, no, which is where you ended up, right? Yeah. Um, however, I'm sure if I said to you, would you redo those 74 days and the days before preparing for it again, you'd unequivocally say yes. The second one is in this context of COVID, where the big goal is just getting by, right? The, for a lot of these clubs, the big goal is just trying to keep the lights on. And sadly, they're not able to, to put out and enjoy the soccer programming that drew them to their jobs in the first place. So motivation is extremely difficult in that sort of a context, particularly when you see nowhere light to the end of the tunnel. What do you do when your, your big goal is just simple survival? You're 73 days into our row across the ocean in the middle of the Bermuda Triangle. Our boat capsized. We ended up getting rescued and dropped off in San Juan, Puerto Rico. So we didn't we didn't uh, complete that journey you know, successfully. It was a failure if you were to look at it externally. But I would say that, too, it was a happy failure. It was a happy failure in that it didn't quite work out the way that we wanted it to, but in the end, it ended up delivering some surprise benefits, and we were able to run with that. We've, you know, we were able to gain, um, for example, more uh, media coverage for our title sponsor, and they absolutely loved it. You know, they said, you know, we got more attention from your capsize than we ever would have, you know, had you made it. Oh, I'm sure you felt so special then. <laughs> <laughs> if you died, it would have been even better, Adam, right? <laughs> you know, it would have, I don't know that it would have been, but uh, yeah, I'm glad nobody was hurt yeah. in, the, uh, in the crossing. By identifying all the skills that were built and all the wins that we had, you know, in, on a smaller level, and then also identifying the, you know, serendipitous wins from the failure made that, you know, made it more palatable. So then we move to COVID and extrinsically, it's hard to dictate what a win is. So the question is, you know, if the goal is survival, you know, it's understanding what do you need to survive? And, uh, and then, you know, having that target and then understanding what can you accomplish because, and then can you stay in alignment with, you know, these values? This is the truth. When you're to look back at any of the studies that uh, cover people's careers and you ask them, what, what is the most memorable and impactful you know, time of your career? More often than not, it's the time of challenge where you had to rally through and, uh, and find a solution. You know, and growth and change are painful because you, you have to learn new skills and there are, there is uncertainty associated with that. Um, yet if you were to take one another step back and look at the process, you know, right now, right, 100% right now, are you okay? Yes, you are okay right now. Uh, and in the future, you know, 10 steps down the road, are you going to be okay? Yes, you are going to be okay. The challenge is those, you know, those nine steps between now and the future. Yeah. It's not really knowing what that path is. Right. And I think there is an element of, uh, of faith, you know, faith in yourself. Faith, uh, the, the community doesn't want you to fail. The right. community enjoys the fact that you have, uh, that you're providing soccer programming. And when, uh, when, 
you know, when it's time to have soccer games again, they, they will want you there. I want to close, Adam, by coming around and talking a little bit about your your fantastic book, The Responsibility Ethic Bestseller. Um, I've read it myself. People who who watch or see me present will know it's on my my recommended um, reading list for anyone. The Responsibility Ethic, and there's 12 strategies in there for exceptional people to use and do the work, make success happen. Is it really a big mindset? Is this the creep mindset here that we're reading when we read this book? You are reading the creek mindset. There's an element of it. The, the process is important for you as the leader to go through, to step back and reflect upon you know, the successes, the, the failures, uh, the teams, the, the coaches, and how you've responded to the challenges of your um, you know, of, of your career and of your life. Uh, if you were to go through the 12 different ethics that came out, you know, the, the great, greater philosophy of the book is that you can't always control the situation that you find yourself in, but you can control how you respond to that experience, that experience. And you can choose to make reflection a fleeting thought, or you can choose to actively reflect upon that experience and pull out key learnings. And so the, you know, the challenge of writing this book, uh, and if anyone has ever written a book where they've, you know, they're reflecting, especially on personal experiences, is that the first, the first book that you write is the book you write for yourself. And there's a whole lot of BS that comes out when you're writing that. <laughs> yeah. And you start to recognize where your mindset is strong and where it is weak. And then you look at, I remember the first copy of this book that I wrote, which was actually 10 years before I, I ended up publishing it. I looked at it and I was like, this is crap. Hmm. And this is like, what value will this show to other people? And is, is this truly, you know, like the way that I think or I want to think. And so it took time to, to rewrite and redigest and uh, and understand what what thoughts did I want to actually include in in this book and and how would it be useful to uh, you know to a leader in development so that they could actually gain you know gain from these lessons and gain from these experiences. Um, only one thing I can't agree with you on in that book, Adam. There's a point where you talk about eating salmon and cherries together. There's no way, my friend. I just cannot do that. So if you exclude the salmon and cherries, read the book. I'll have salmon or cherries, but not salmon and cherries. And you you double down on this. You tell me it's great to this day. Oh, it is. It's very good. Oh, and oh, the- only, only somebody from Vancouver, Ireland, would say that, my friend. <laughs> well, it's this whole, the, the idea of whole foods, eat more yeah. whole foods. Yeah, and uh, life is better when you um, when you have more whole foods and less refined flours. You know, less you know sugars. You know, there's. You oh know, my god, the cookbook is coming next, folks. Here we go, Creek yeah, Cooks. Okay. There we go, Creek Cooks with a K. <laughs> <laughs> folks, if you're looking for great business coaching support advice, no better person to turn to than Adam Creek. He's available to, to take your call or email at any time. Creek speaks to business solutions. We've spoken a lot about what he does today, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure you'll all agree from listening to him. has tremendous, tremendous ideas on how to build a great mindset and be a productive, successful person, whatever you define that to be. Adam Creek, as the first guest 
on the register room where amateur soccer goes off field. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, it was a privilege and a pleasure. Hey, amateur soccer club leaders. Are you looking for a complete reference on how to run a great amateur soccer club, but all you can find are books on how to coach kids? Introducing Amazon's number one bestseller, Don't Blame the Soccer Parents, your complete guide on how to run a successful amateur soccer club, covering everything from managing your boardroom to overseeing your director of coaching or raising corporate sponsorship. Based on real-world experiences from internationally renowned sports consultant and professional speaker Paul Berrien, Don't Blame the Soccer Parents rolls its sleeves up and tackles all the hands-on club management issues you need to master. Governance, planning, staffing, volunteers, finance, technical oversight, marketing, evaluation, and more. You'll find it all in the most comprehensive soccer club management reference on the market today. Pick up your copy on the Amazon platform or at don'tblamethesoccerparents.com today. Imagine not having the chance to play sports as a kid. Imagine not having those memories, those experiences. Imagine your childhood without them. If I wasn't able to play, I would miss my friends. I will miss being active and the chance of being competitive. Basketball has taught me how to work as a team, how to communicate and how to adapt to any situation. My goal it is to play for Team Canada and make it to the WNBA. The skills kids learn through sports are carried with them throughout their lives. But all across Canada, kids are being left on the sidelines because they don't have the resources to play. We owe all kids a chance to experience everything that sport has to offer. Help unleash the full potential in every child. Visit kidsport.ca so all kids can play. Got a soccer business question you want Paul Varian to tackle on the Regista Room? Send it to us now at questions at registaroom.com. Welcome back to the Regista Room, folks, where amateur soccer goes off-field. My second guest today is close to home in soccer terms and comes at the request of some readers of my book, Don't Blame the Soccer Parents, in which he and his club are featured. In 2018, I received a call from a guy by the name of Rob Gillis from Cole Harbour Soccer Club in Nova Scotia in eastern Canada. Rob explained to me that he was planning on merging his soccer club with not one, not two, but three other local community soccer clubs in the area to form a larger, more capable club that could ultimately do more for the local soccer community. I smiled to myself. I'd been involved in club mergers before and they rarely went well. Indeed, most failed, not because the merger process was complex or difficult, but simply because egos and parochial mindsets ultimately got in the way of doing what was right. Merger was hard enough, I experienced with just two clubs, but four don't make me laugh, I thought. Then Rob produced a real showstopper. He wanted the merger completed in time for a combined summer outdoor season in May. I glanced at the calendar as we were on the phone. It was late January, not four full months away. There was just no way, I thought, and I'd better let him down early on, I decided. You know, you might maybe want to set the program integration target back to winter or maybe even next summer, I tentatively suggested. And Rob's response was emphatic. No, he said, we need this merger completed for this summer. His voice was non-negotiable and extremely compelling. They're going to do this, I thought. Let's see what happens. And sure enough, that summer, 
Kids in the communities of Dartmouth, Cole Harbour and Eastern Passage, just outside of Halifax, Nova Scotia, played soccer as a newly merged club called United DFC, which thrives today under Rob Gillis's leadership. I included this story in Don't Blame the Soccer Parents towards the end of the book, when I talk about the importance of a strong mindset in getting things done. I'll admit, I was a bit ashamed of myself that day in January 2018 after I put the phone down with Rob. I had doubted his resolve, and he wasn't having none of it. It should have been me pushing him. But it did remind me of how important leadership is, particularly in times of change and uncertainty. It's popular to suggest these days that leadership is irrelevant, that people are better off finding their own way. But the truth is they're not. Sure, we need autonomy and freedom of choice, but sometimes people need to be shown the way, and Rob Gillis showed how in 2018. I caught up with Rob to discuss how he and his leadership team pulled off that merger and how they've employed the same mindset in the context of managing the pandemic and uncertainty that has brought to the club over the last couple of years. Have a listen. Rob Gillis, president of United DFC in Nova Scotia, Canada. Welcome to the Regista Room. Thank you very much, Paul. Great to be here. Well, wonderful to have you on, Rob. And um, how how did you apply that attitude of not letting things get in your way um, to the further build out of the club which obviously cascaded into further programming and ultimately cultural merger. You know, surrounding yourselves with good people was key to that and, and having that input, but and understanding that once the merger was, we'll say, complete, um, as far as a legality point of view goes, there's still a significant amount of work to do um, and not uh, not taking that lightly and understanding that there's going to be issues down the road. Um, like you said, there's culturals. We had uh, the four different clubs. Each, each of them had their kind of their own cultures, a lot of similarities, but still slightly different. Um, each of them had different members and different expectations of what their soccer experience was going to be like. Um, trying to understand that. We did a lot of surveys over the years to try to understand where our direction and where we need to go. And we're still learning. How did you go about building a, a really good, dependable group of people to, to bring the club forward through? Because we had the four clubs, we had a lot of resources within. Each one of those clubs had a board. And in every board, there's some real go-getters. And there's also um, everybody on a board has different strengths and weaknesses associated with. So we had to put a team together that capitalized on everybody's strengths and their um, and their experiences, whether they're in their personal lives or their work experience and what talents they have. So what we did is we, we came together as a smaller group and then started going, okay, who do we need? Who's out there? Who's willing to give a lot, especially in coming into the merger? Um, you know, it's not going to be a volunteer of a, you know, a couple hours a week. It's going to be a volunteer of 10, 10 plus hours a week. And that's what we needed. We grabbed everybody we could um, that we um, thought would um, be able to elevate it, believed in the project, could put the effort forward in the short term. You basically said, look, there's room for everyone. Like, let's get everyone involved and we'll find out where people can be best deployed later. But let's just get everyone part of this. I remember that meeting. You know, it was a packed room. There's obviously a lot of people from the different boards. Um, for sure. I love, I love the fact that you already had the T-shirts printed, Rob. I mean, that to me just said... As you came in, here we are. Who's who? You hadn't even got the club fully finalized at that point, but yet the T-shirt said United DFC. I mean, a very deliberate um, message that we are one club right from the start, right? You're, this is a big change for people, right? And to right. and to do it in isolation and just make the change and then impose it on 
on the groups is is not going to work to your benefit. You have to, you know, empower them and bring them in and find out what they know and, and find out what their concerns are and how we can address it and how this merger will potentially help solve some of those issues. And just, it was all about empowerment. We did, mm-hmm. we did town halls before we were considering about, about the mergers kind of in the fall of 2017, just to see what people were thinking and, and coming out of those meetings and specifically one meeting, it was clear and evident that we're doing this for the right reasons yeah. and let's, let's move forward. Let's get it done. And you even, as I recall, you had a little competition as to what people wanted the name of the club to be. So you put ownership right, right into the membership as to what the very name was going to be, right? Exactly. Put it out there. Let's, let's see what people think, um, see what the choices are, what their comments are. We also um, reached out on, a, um, on the logo itself. Yeah. Right. And, and had people vote on the, some of the different logos and so we try to keep the positive engagement there um, and keep communication going. We'd have a number of town halls, probably the largest town hall. And once we were merged about the soccer program and what we were offering, jerseys, we had jersey reveal parties, um, you know, where we brought members in and celebrated at a come try soccer event at the same time, just constant engagement of our members and giving them opportunities to come in and talk to us and find out what's going on. Um, Did you ever find any moments where your resolve and your sort of non-negotiable insistence that this is going to happen was tested and you or people around you sort of felt, look, this is not going to work? No. That's awesome. It wasn't wasn't an option. Like, I mean, you, you could, you could have that little bit of doubt in your mind going, is this a good, good idea? Is this a good direction? But, you know, we had, um, you know, plan for 2000 to 2,500 members that have to come back combined into the club. You don't, you don't have to, you don't have an option to rethink and go, no, okay, this summer, everyone's going back to their own clubs. Let's just dissolve this idea. This is crazy. It's right. Do you feel that the culture you're building there, and I say building because you've acknowledged quite rightly that it's probably still a work in progress, but how much of this is we, we continue to strive to overcome whatever objects are put in front of us, this perseverance, tenacity. How much of that is an element of the culture you're building there? Or is it really more specific to the leadership group that was doing the work at the time? We don't have an established culture. We have an, an intended culture that we got to get to, and we're still working towards that, where, you know, the soccer experience at UDFC is more than just on the on the field. There's off-the-field experiences we want to, and, and we've come across right from the start saying you know you were family we are a united dfc family all players within the club wear the same crest yeah almost all players in the club have the exact same jersey right so it's just that um all players in the club like you talked about those t-shirts you know we did a big opening event where we went to a local hockey game you know originally we bought 50 tickets and then we bought 75 and then we bought 100 and soon we were up to 350 tickets from the club and so then we're like, okay, let's get everyone T-shirts. And then we get these nice blue United D- UDFC T-shirts, and they're all in the stands. Um, one thing we did forget about is that there's blue seats in the stands. <laughs> the seats are blue. So <laughs> it wasn't the, wasn't the best as, it, as coming across it for everybody to notice these all these blue T-shirts. But um, uh, yeah. it was just that we're all together. We're all in this. And we actually coined, not to coin the phrase, but used the phrase all for one. Right. Because yeah. we took four clubs and merged them all into one. So 
use that in some of our promotional material. Well, you'll, be it was just that. Know, you'll be pleased to know I still have my United DFC t-shirt. I <laughs> wear it with pride. So um, as as I do with lots of other t-shirts clubs out there, but uh, yeah, it's a it's a great it's a great um, a great club and a great brand. I guess it would be remiss, Rob, to not talk about how you've managed to, or if you have applied the same mentality to what you did around merging these clubs, to how you've tackled this, you know, eighteen month plus, uh, nearly two year pandemic we've been working our way through in various iterations. Have you taken the same approach to dealing with the sort of the lack of certainty and all of the risk chaos associated with that? I, I'd say generally yes. I think the challenge is the um, the toll it's some it, it has taken on volunteers, and I would be remiss if I didn't say that. You know, at some points, probably volunteers just wanted to quit because of the challenges and the frequent changes and and going from, you know, plan B to plan BB and plan C and D all the way down the line. And, and every couple of weeks it was switching and you had to pivot. And What would you say to people? And this is not just related to COVID, but in general, you know, because I, I meet a lot of people who are talking around big ideas or they might want to take a jump into something that's got a bit of risk attached to it, maybe a merger such as you're referring to, or it might be something else, a decision to invest in a facility or hire a, an overseas coach that comes with all sorts of risk and cost and so on. What would you say to people who struggle with those challenges and, and that sort of burden of responsibility that leadership brings ring, running a, an amateur soccer club? For me, I'd say listen to your, listen to your guts. You know, let that be your compass. Let that be your your board's compass of you know what is your what does your gut say? Is this the right decision? Is this the right direction? Make sure you have people around you again that are going to be there, yeah, till it's finished. And sometimes you got to you know maybe you bring in specialty people for these ad hoc temporary decisions and activities. So I mean, again, you, and you mentioned this in the book, Rob. Um, you're very clear to mention that this is not the Rob Gillis show. This is not just about you, that there is a shared leadership model there. When it comes to the big stuff, you you lean in, lean in on each other and build rigor in your decision-making. But once you've done it, you're, you're all committed to being behind it, right? That's right. And we, we trust each other, right? We trust everybody's mm-hmm. input, and, um, which is which is key, right? It is. There's nobody around that, that, you know, the boardroom Zoom call that I don't trust yeah. and, and, and feel that they have a lot to offer and we should be listening when they speak. So is and that a, is that a really big part of big decision-making for you is that if you, if it's not on your own and there isn't the loneliness there of it, I won't say safety in numbers, but I think you know what I mean. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, absolutely. You can share, share your ideas, share your thoughts, share the review of the risks. What do people think where we're headed? Going through COVID is a balance of, you know, all these things that are happening outside of our lives with your work challenges at work, you get challenges um, associated with, you know, the soccer part of the program. You also have challenges at home, like dealing right. with just kids going to school and different things like that. So that was comforting to know that even though maybe one of us wasn't pulling the weight that we typically would, there was another person that had the ability to step up and, and carry that weight. And, and yeah. that fluctuates throughout the fluctuated throughout the year when pe- certain people could carry more weight than they typically wouldn't to, to keep everybody going. So. But, but coming through that, and as you say, that sort of give and take and leaning on each other and helping out when, when it needed to be reciprocated, you can see how that's the essence of building a really strong trusting team, right? 
yeah, a lot of similarities to be on the soccer field as a team, right? Well, I, mean, I was just about not, to say that, Rob. I mean, it's kind know, of it's, interesting because we talk all the time about boards trying to, you know, drive culture. But, I mean, why don't we just look at what we try and instill on people on the field, right? Rob Gillis, president of United DFC, thank you so much for joining me on the Register Room today. Need help managing your amateur sport organization but don't know where to turn? Look no further than Capitus Consulting, your dependable partner to help you through the challenges and issues you routinely face in and around your sport boardroom. At Capitus Consulting, we're different. We've directly managed amateur sport organizations from community club to national governing body. We understand your side of the fence because we've been there ourselves. We know from experience what makes sport organizations successful and where they go wrong. Reach out to us today at capitusconsulting.ca and let's start building your sport business today. Want to tell us what you think of the show and things we could do to make it better? Tell us now at comments at registeroom.com. Welcome back, friends. In examining the idea of mindset today, I hope I've made you think about what your mindset is. How much have you actively thought about it? Have you ever genuinely made efforts to change it? Why have you chosen to do this and how effective has it been? As we travel on our respective journeys through life, our mindsets tend to become more fulsome as we maybe achieve certain goals around career and family and gain a deeper understanding of what is important in life. This can often happen after moments of setback or grief. What we commonly turn as wisdom, helping us shape what we value through experience as well as learning. When I think of great mindsets, I often think of my Uncle John Lavin. He's in his late 80s now, living in Ireland, and was a geriatrician all his life. Years ago, when I was a younger and maybe overly inquisitive man, I asked him if he found it tough working in the field of geriatrics, where you were basically dealing with old people who are close to or at the end of their lives all the time. It was a crass and clumsy remark, but such is youth. Uncle John just thought for a moment and then said, No, not really. The people I deal with are the genetic elite. They've made it to the ages that most of us don't reach, for a variety of reasons, but mostly because of how they are made up. My job is to prepare them for the final years of what has usually been a remarkable life. That's not hard. It's actually a privilege. Try working in a paediatrics leukemia unit. That's hard. I've never forgotten these words. We could sit today and draw out all the attributes that construct a mindset that could produce that answer to me. But whatever they are, they make up the mindset of a great man who I am proud to call my uncle and godfather because of how he thinks and behaves. What about me? Well, I have three pillars I try to employ as pillars of my mindset, and they are these. Number one, don't feel sorry for yourself. Everyone is fighting their own battle. Number two, is that your best effort? If you're questioning it, it probably isn't. And number three, find something funny to laugh at. No one likes a grumpy bastard. Now, have I always without fail lived these in everything I do? Of course not. There are times I've peered at my navel and wallowed in self-pity. I haven't always put out my best work. And sometimes I am a humorless, grumpy bastard. Just ask my wife. And yes, 
There are other things I think about and morals I try to follow. But these three fundamental attitudes work for me in a lot of what I had to deal with in life, and I do my best to follow them. For me, and from what people tell me, I find them effective attitudes for me to lean in on and help me be my best person. I'm not saying you should adopt them yourself. For you, you've got to find your own. Carve out your mindset. You don't have to talk about it, but know it yourself. Know what drives you and makes you who you are. And lean into these attitudes in everything you do from the moment you get up in the morning to when you put the light out and call it a night. In doing so, you'll be amazed at what an effective and inspirational leader you will be, often without even noticing it or intending to, to the people you lead in your soccer organization, but also with your family, friends, and the people you love. My name is Paul Varian. You're in the Regista Room, where amateur soccer goes off-field. Join me again for a future episode, but until then, stay safe and well, friends. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Regista Room, where amateur soccer goes off-field. Join us again for the next episode. Subscribe today at capituslearning.com or listen wherever you access your favorite podcasts.